When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, thank you so much for everything. Good to see awesome. you guys. Thanks for coming over. Absolutely. Well, welcome back to another episode of Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on? Mid-sip. Oh, I'm thirsty, Derek. Uh, <laughs> so I'm excited for this. We should start with introductions and titles and then dive right in. But this has been long awaited. Uh, Derek and I spent a lot of time down here, so mm-hmm. it's nice to finally uh, link up and, and catch up. So if you want to introduce yourself to our audience. So my name is Tim. Uh, we're at Flying Buys and Brewing Company, and my official title here at the brewery is Tim. Love it. That's uh, amazing. We're, we're not big on titles. We're, no. just, we just, we're all here. We all work. We're all pulling on the same rope. That's like awesome. It. So how did, how did this whole endeavor begin? Let's just start from the top for people that have no idea about anything flying bison. Oh, my golly. It's such a long story. <laughs> um, started out 1976. I was 18 years old and did not like beer as it existed in Rochester, New York at that time. Had a part-time job in a grocery store while I was in high school. And I know for a lot of your listeners, it's going to be shocking to find out that people in high school age could legally drink beer back mm, then. Right. So drinking age was 18. Um, so I could legally leave my high school, go get a beer, come back, and finish my school day. That, that's so cool. Nobody would have gone to jail over that. I'm so jealous. That's, that's shocking. <laughs> but I hated beer. I just it, What was available as beer at that time was... In a word, awful. Hmm. So on my way home from my part-time job at the grocery store one day, punched out, was headed for the front door, and I saw a four-pack of beer from Ireland. My mom is of Irish descent. My dad is of, Je- of German descent. So at a very early age, I was condemned to a life of beer enjoyment, and I just didn't realize it. So it was Guinness Foreign Export Stout. Ooh. Took it home, poured it in a glass, my mom looked at it and said, there's no way. Um, and I just flipped. And, and that, that's what turned on the switch. You know, 
XYZ light beer and XYZ low calorie beer and major international. And they hadn't even all collapsed at that time, but there was all this fizz water out there that called itself beer. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Couldn't see a reason to ever put that in your mouth. This Guinness Foreign Exports thought, however, that was another story. If that was beer, I'm on board. So then four years of college, professional beer complainer. How come this <laughs> bar has decent beer and this bar doesn't? And you know. so on and on. So graduate college, Betsy and I get married, and she gives me a homebrew startup kit for my birthday as a gag gift. Very slippery slope. So if you look through those windows and all those tanks, uh, she doesn't find it all that funny anymore. So um, I started homebrewing and loved it. Just from the first, just loved the process. I, to this day, I'm planning on brewing this coming Saturday, a pilot batch, a two-barrel batch of mm -hmm. beer. It's secret tap. So if you're coming to Flying Bison, feel free to ask for the secret tap. And that's something that I've brewed on the pilot system that I've had a great time brewing. Hmm. So I still get to do that once in a great while. Not as often as I'd like, but I get to do it. Um, so that, that's kind of how it started. And then a friend of mine and I came up with the idea for Flying Bison. And unfortunately, he was killed in a motorcycle accident before we opened up. Had to peel everything back, start everything all over again. And uh, we opened in, in May of 2000 and started selling two beers. A Kolsch beer, German-style Kolsch beer called Dawn Patrol Gold, and an Irish red ale called Aviator Red. And Aviator Red is still on the menu. 22 is... years later. Wow. Kolsch is too, although we've had to change the name a couple of <clears throat> times because it's just kind of a difficult concept sure. for a lot of people to grasp. Just a nice, light, yellow, easy-drinking beer mm. that doesn't take six weeks to make. Sure. So that's the nice thing about Kolsch beers. So when you started this, even... This is fascinating because you're the first one that really brought up like your history starting at 18. Yep. And we hear about craft breweries right now exploding like yeah. within the past 10 years. But what was it like back then? Were there any craft beers? Were it was they so lonely? What was it? Um, yeah. There were, so I, I do a, a presentation. I get asked to guest lecture at uh, Buff State and UB hmm. and um, for, for different things, for different science class. Uh, uh, travel and well, it's the travel and tourism department, but it's uh, business classes, all these sorts of things, and, and talking about the entrepreneurial aspect of flying bison. And on the slides that I have in my PowerPoint is how many breweries were there in this country in this year? And it starts out with 1976 at 103 breweries in the United States of America. And that's macro. That's all. Breweries. That's just everything. That's I mean, wild. Craft in finger quotes. That's true. Didn't exist back then, except. There was one that was really under the radar. It was Anchor Brewing Company. Fritz Maytag bought his shares in the Anchor Brewing Company in 1969. What state? Where are they located? California, San Francisco, okay. California. And it was distributed. You could get it in Buffalo for a while, and then it receded. Mr. Maytag eventually kind of aged out, retired, sold the brewery. Uh, it's been bought and sold a couple times since then. And in my personal opinion, this isn't fact. It's my personal opinion. The beers aren't what they used to be, mm -hmm. uh, but they were spectacular. They were in, they made four beers. That's, or I'm sorry, a fifth. They, they did a seasonal Christmas beer called Our Special Ale, but they did steam beer, uh, a wheat beer in the summer, an American style wheat beer. And they're the guys who invented it. And they're the guys who revived and retained steam beer, California common as a style. Uh, they made a big porter, 
Anchor Porter, uh, and they kind of invented the West Coast IPA with Liberty Ale. Mm. And then Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada said, wow, this is something, but it's kind of strong. So he made Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and that's what fired them up and got them going. And that's those are kind of the breweries that lit it up on the West Coast. So back then, was it just like lagers, ales, stouts, porters, and just like the main staples? There wasn't India Pale Ales and stuff like that back then, were there? Well, like how far do you want to go back? I mean, there <laughs> there was fizz water. That's what okay. it started. And in Buffalo, what kind of muddied everything for craft beer and pretty much still does is that there was that Canadian. Sure. Influence. Just, yeah. yeah, just but it, the amount of beer from Canada that poured and mm. pours over the border, um, that, you know, color that's on those big silos. Uh, so we can't say the brand name, but, you know, that color, uh, it just it's amazing how many trucks that come over the mm -hmm. border every day. But if the largest major national brewery in the United States wants to make beer in Canada, you cannot send it over the border. You have to make it over there. Oh, okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they're very protectionist. And it's, well, just look at the... The procedure is trying to get over the border. Right. It it used to be you would just wave as you're going by, and <laughs> now joke. you got to give up your firstborn. Yeah. yeah. Right. So um, it's a Canadian regulation that is making it more difficult to send beer over there, not yeah. in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you can't ship it over. That's wild. It has to be made there. So even the major national U.S. breweries mm -hmm. have to make their beer over the border. Interesting. But there were they were the last ones to make all malt. A good tasting beer in North America. Most of the uh, U.S. lower 50 states gave up the ghost on all malt beers, good tasting beers by the late 50s. Mm. Um, so in the 70s, when I moved to Buffalo, you could still get O'Keefe's uh, O'Keefe's Ale, uh, Labatt Velvet Cream Porter, Molson Stock Ale, Labatt's Extra Stock Ale. You could get those beers. They were good, solid beers. They were good drinking beers. Um, but the perception that Canadian beer was the good beer and anything in the United States was not the good mm -hmm. beer, mm -hmm. well, now they're all the same company. Sure. So they're all the same beer. <laughs> but the perception exists that because it has a Canadian-ish name, that it's better beer, that muddies the water here. Mm -hmm. So I always loved going to craft beer conferences, and they said, oh, I got this, you know, this distributor that they pushed this beer from Milwaukee. They pushed this beer from St. Louis. Like, oh, woe is me. Like, bring it on. Come on, <laughs> come on into my backyard where I got three Canadians, three New York states, and they're all in my shorts. And I'm trying to explain to people the difference between good beer and flavorless beer. Sure. It's not that they're bad. The science behind those beers is incredible. However, I just don't find the flavor, again, personal opinion, I don't find the flavor of those beers worth drinking. Mm -hmm. So it was 103 breweries in 76? Yeah. And then it boomed into what, just to round out that point? Because I don't think people as, as really of, quantified it. As of uh, February of this year, it's 8,764, I think. We're thirsty people, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the piece of legislation over there on the wall in the black frame has a lot to do with it. That passed in 2014, and that's called the Craft Act. Mm. 
And in New York State, if you look at how many breweries there were before 2014, 50, maybe. Um, and you look at how many there are since 2014, and I think we're up to 400, and we're second or third in the nation of number of breweries in the state. Wow. And that piece of legislation has the reason to do it. So that came out in 2014, but you guys started in 2000? Yeah. What was that like, starting without that legislation? 14 years of pounding toward that legislation. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was almost, I mean, I'm sure it was borderline lobbying, wasn't it? Oh, Just asking for help? Big time lobbying. And, yeah. And that's kind of a dirty word that, right. oh, there's big money involved. Oh, there's No, lobbying was me getting in my car in <laughs> Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. driving to Albany. Five hours? No, four hours. Okay, speed demon. Do you see the size of my shoes? <laughs> so, big feet, fast car. Um, no, not a fast car, little beer van. But four hours, four hours and ten minutes to get to the Capitol. Ten-minute meeting, back in the car, and drive back to Buffalo. Oh, man. Jeez. That, that's the result. So there's, there's a guy, his name is Charlie Papazian. And he founded the American Homebrewers Association and then the Brewers Association. And that's the big organization that we all belong to. Okay. We all belong to it. And he would say, when it comes to matters of business, if you're not sitting at the table, you're on the menu. Mm. They'll eat you alive if you're not there to represent yourself. And I took that to heart very quickly and found it to be true. And the word politician gets to be a dirty word these days, but some of the politicians from Western New York, and a lot of them actually, regardless of which side of the aisle they sit on, and regardless of whether they're state politicians or federal politicians, we've had over time some people who really care. There's a less polite way to say that. They give a care for the job and the people of Western New York. Mm -hmm. And if you go to them and say, hey, I'm trying to help build this industry that's going to create jobs, that's going to create tax dollars, they'll sit down, they'll listen to you, they'll move you through, they'll help you. If they can't do it, they'll tell you who can. And it's, it hasn't been easy, but it's been worthwhile. So in 2000, what was it like? What was the beer scene like in Buffalo? Was there anything? Uh, there was Buffalo Brew Pub. They opened in 1986. There was Pearl Street Grill and Brewery, and they opened in 98, I think. Um, so they're restaurants that brewed beer and served all their beer on their premises. There was nobody distributing. Hmm. And so Red and I made a commitment early on that we were going to distribute because there's so many bars and restaurants at that time in western New York. And the kind of corner bar, sports bar, those kind of things seemed to be fading away. But uh, back then, there were 1,700 licenses in Western New York. So either you could be a restaurant that serves its own beer in one location. you got to compete with 1,700 mm. other people. Or you open a distributing brewery and try and service those 1,700 accounts. From a, from a legal standpoint, what is that? How do you differentiate yourself as a distributing brewery? It's, it's just uh, you don't have a restaurant. So oh, okay. you don't have the restaurant licensing. You don't have a kitchen. Gotcha. Um, you still have to apply for the manufacturing licenses for beer. You still have to pay the excise taxes. Um, and that's, <laughs> we could do a whole show on that one. <laughs> um, but again, 
lobbying, standing up for ourselves. The craft brewing industry has been able to reduce the federal, the amount of federal excise tax we pay by about $2 a barrel. So that's a buck a half keg, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you start talking about 10 to 14,000 barrels, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Did you start in this location? No. Or did you move here? No, where we're sitting right now, we've been for almost eight years. So in November, we'll be eight years. Well, a week ago today, so eight years and one week mm-hmm. ago today, we brewed our first batches inside this building. Oh, so cheers. sweet. Yeah. Cheers. That's Happy anniversary to, to us. Happy sure. That's hey, awesome. Get that clink on the microphones. <laughs> so, so when you... When so, you first started, what? Yes. Well, to touch on his, on his point, like, where did you start? Oh, yeah. What was the first location? Over in Riverside in the back, and I mean back, of an old warehouse building on Ontario Street. And we were there for 14 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What, um, what were the surrounding streets off of Ontario? Philadelphia, uh, Isabel, and uh, Housing Project. Okay. Those wow. were the four borders. What, was it uh, so the famous saying that we now know within the city of Buffalo is high ceiling, low rent. Well, let's move in. That's pretty much the premises of everybody trying to start out. And they're just like, we'll go in the city and we'll just figure it out. Cause we know it's high ceilings and low rent. Was that pretty much the mindset going into it? Yes. And I started red and I started looking for space in old buildings. And we actually were in part of the old Phoenix brewery building and landlord didn't come through on their side of it. Um, we agreed to disagree, and it cost us a lot of money to get out of that. Um, so then we found this other building, and it, it didn't have that historic feel, pull. That's something that we wanted from the very beginning. So we've really looked at, at real estate twice. Once when we started the brewery, so we started in, like, 95, looking. Uh, he got killed in a motorcycle on 97, and we flying by is an open 2000. So we looked at real estate twice before his death, after mm-hmm. his death. Um, and then again, when we had to move out of that building, cause we were out of space and the people that had bought that building said, Hey, we want your space. I, I went to them and said, Hey, we need more space. And they said, tough. Um, but they were super nice about it. They were, they were an incredible company. They mm-hmm. are a big company in Buffalo and they were really, really great to us. They didn't have to be, but they were. Uh, so we looked around for property. We found this, and it was, uh, <laughs> the expression was, ugly property, low purchase. <laughs> I mean, this whole street was so different when right. you guys first came here. Right. It wasn't. I, I mean, just look across the street with that new apartment complex. Like, that right. wasn't there. Yeah, but, I mean, we got to. We got to kind of paint this visual because people that are from Buffalo don't understand. Like Larkinville was the first neighborhood to really get a lot of money pumped into it. And then, well, it, it was kind of it's all family that's pumping their own yeah. personal money into it. And yeah. That's, I mean, granted, they get some tax breaks and things. OK, but they they don't do what a lot of other developers yeah, do. They don't have to do what they're doing. Correct. By any means. And when right. you first came here, it was dismal. Right. So the, what other businesses were here when you first showed up? You and you? Here, let me give you the list. <laughs> okay, we're done. Uh, so this this property was surrounded by a rusted out chain link fence with barbed wire around the top. So my first job, while we're the guys are still brewing beer in the old place, I'm over here with you know Loctite and pliers and, and snippers and a dumpster cutting barbed wire off the top of the fence. Just so that as we're building this building, 
people, and it's February, by the way. Oh, geez. People don't think that there's, it's dangerous to be here. Mm-hmm. I wanted that to go away quick. So Unilock concrete, compressed concrete blocks was behind us, and they've since relocated to Ohio. But their yard guy on the forklift came over while I'm cutting down the barbed wire and putting it in the dumpster. He says, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, I'm cutting down the barbed wire. He said, well, why are you doing that? I said, because it's not going to be that kind of neighborhood anymore. It's not going to be. It's going to be a good place to be. People are going to be comfortable here. It's going to be fun. And uh, thanks to the other developers in the neighborhood, it's, I, I was right. Mm-hmm. Feeling pretty smart right now. How long did it take to get that, though? Actually, it started happening very quickly. Oh, that's good. As we started building, um, well, of course, they had the LCO building across the way, which they did an incredible job with. Mm-hmm. If you've never been in there, you really got to just walk down the hallway. This used to be an industrial building, and trains ran through it. Look at it now. What a difference. Um, so there's that. Uh, Buffalo Distilling is, mm-hmm. you can look at it right yeah. out the window. Um, they've been great neighbors. We've had a lot of fun with them. We'll take one of their Krupnik barrels and age some Bach beer in it. And I mean, we've had lots of fun back sure. and forth with that. So it's it's a great area. It's, it's a lot of fun to be down yeah. here. So going back to when you first started brewing beer, you said your first was that Kolsch and the Aviator Red. Right. Those both are very interesting beers to start with. Why did you choose a Kolsch and an Aviator Red? Because. Okay. So Aviator Red goes to. Red and I were talking about making an amber color beer. One of our favorite breweries actually up in Canada. It's called Wellington County. And they made, in, in Great Britain, there's, there's like three or four really notable styles back then. There was something called bitter that was golden to amber color that was dry and a little hoppy finish. There was county, which was about the same color. A little more amber maybe, but it had a little more malt to it, what hmm. didn't finish quite so dry. And then there was Porter and there was Stout and get into those things that still kind of exist. But the Bitter and the County are styles that you don't hear about in the United mm-hmm. States. We'll make a Bitter and put it on the British cask and have it on a Friday, hand pull it. And if I tell people, they'll say, well, what kind of beer is that? And I'll say, well, it's a British Bitter. I go, oh, that's okay, I'll have that <laughs> IPA. It's It might be yellow color, but it's 80 IBUs and the bitter is 30 to 35. Sure, it's just the name. Right. Oh, I don't like bitter beer. I'll have that IPA. <laughs> uh, it's uh. way more bitter. <laughs> uh, but we anyway, we were going to do a, a yellow beer, and we knew we couldn't afford the tanks to make a lager beer. We couldn't let beer sit six weeks cold. So we started with a Kolsch beer. That rolls over in about three weeks. Still yellow, still light, still clean, still... You know, brightly filtered, it still would light people up. Mm-hmm. And 22 years later, it still does. Uh, but Aviator Red came about when Red went away. One of the f- um, the few beers that we could both drink in equal amounts because he was a big fella. Mm-hmm. So when we went to the UK together, he was drinking winter warmers and imperial stouts and like 20 ounce pints. Wham! Like, <laughs> it's like drinking with Ivan the Terrible. <laughs> Uh, and I'm drinking milds and counties and, and bitters at, at 3%, 4%, trying to, not trying to keep up, right. but just, you know. Keep up socially. Yeah. 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 You, you, couldn't, you couldn't match them. That would be foolish. <laughs> uh, I would have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but when, when he went away, uh, so I took the, one of the beers that we both really liked, which was Smittix, um, 
uh, what do they call it? A Smittix barley wine, which was their 6% red. They had Smittix, which we get in this country now, mm -hmm. but we didn't back then. But Canada got Smittix barley wine, which is like six, six and a half percent. And I knocked that down a percent or two just to make it reasonable and called it Aviator Red. Oh, sweet. So that's where that comes from. So when you look at the artwork, anybody who wanders in here and looks at the banner that we have hanging in the corner, there's lots of symbolism on that old bottle label uh, that has to do with red and our sure. long friendship and, and all that. So What year did awesome. you guys meet? We met in 1986, and he scared the bejesus out of you. Gosh, golly, jeepers out of me. Uh, I was working at the Buffalo Brew Pub as brewer slash bartender slash night manager slash floor sweeper slash, uh, which is great training for running a brewery because sure. if somebody calls in sick, I'm canning beer. Um, I'm sweeping the floor. I, you wear a lot of hats in a small business, mm -hmm. especially in a small brewery. Uh, but he was a big, big, big fella. With uh, When we went to England together, people thought that he was one of the guys from ZZ Top. He had this big flaming red beard that came down to the middle of his chest, and he wore a, a herringbone gray overcoat and, uh, you know, size 15, uh, <laughs> white leather sneakers. And was he like six, five, uh, he's just about six, three. So yeah. he was a bit taller than me. Yep. Uh, but just, just a much bigger physical mm -hmm. presence. Like his thumbs were as big as my wrist. <laughs> That's it reminds me of the, the useless fact of Andre the giant when they couldn't quantify how mm -hmm. many eight ounce beers he was drinking. Mm -hmm. And then they realized like he easily was having 30 plus in his sitting <laughs> and yeah. he was totally fine. Right. Just, he was at the bar just drinking people under the table. If, if you want to get a really good feel for him, there's a, a book about making the movie Princess Bride written by Carrie Elwes, and he talks about when they did their first read-through, and they were at a hotel in London, and I think we stayed in the same hotel. Pretty sure it was in the same neighborhood, just by his description. He never mentions it by name. But after they're done, you know, Rob Reiner says, well, anybody want to drink while we're... So Andre goes, yeah, bring me, bring me some wine. So he starts drinking red wine by the bottle. Andre? Yeah. Okay. Well, he drank three, three cases of red wine, two cases of beer, and an unknown number of bottles of brandy before they were done. Oh my gosh. And as he was walking out, he passed out in the lobby, went face down. You can't move him. They couldn't move him. <laughs> and the lobby was two steps down from the street, so they couldn't even bring in a forklift or anything like that to give it a try. So they just put the velvet rope standards <laughs> oh around <God>. him <laughs> until he woke up and he woke up the next morning. Oh. Okay, bye, and walks out the door. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great story to read it in, in Carrie's writing. So that's that's awesome. incredible. Yeah. So probably one of your most arguably well-known beers right now is the Rusty Chain. Yes. When did that start, and, and what was the thought process behind that? That's my favorite. It I was 06 or 07, and it, it started, <clears throat> again, as, as a kind of a friendly thing that became friendly on multiple fronts. So there was a woman brewer that was coming across the United States and she was going to teach a course in brewing at, at the time, was Otter Creek Brewing in Vermont. And she was from, I think, Bend, Oregon, so outside Portland. Um, she was working at a brewery called Steelhead. And they wound up having three or four brew pubs in the chain. So she was making pale ales and I.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. IPAs out west, that's where they grow the hops. Mm -hmm. So they were very early into clean, crisp, hoppy pale ales. And so she's driving across the country, and she would get in touch with the brewers a couple weeks before she got, hey, I'm coming through your town, and I want to at least come in and stick my head in while you're brewing. Well, we were, there's two of us, maybe three of us at the time. And so I said, well, we'd love to have you. And she said, well, I'm not coming through Buffalo. I'm going to go around Canada to get to Vermont. And then she found out that it was actually easier to come down through Detroit mm. and come through. So she did wind up coming through Buffalo, got in touch with me about two or three days before. And she said, Hey, I'm coming through. I said, come on through. We'll brew you and I. So she stayed at my house the night before and we brewed a batch of beer and figuring that she had been making pale ales all the way across the country just because who she was and what she did, and that's what everybody wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I made a Vienna amber lager with her. And was she, she through the moon? Oh yeah. 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 She she still, if she's talking somewhere, she still talks about that. Really? How, that that's what craft beer was about. That it was about that friendliness. It wasn't about uh, what was the best commercial thing you could do? And these other guys just tried to do what she was always doing that somebody else said, let's try something a little different. Yeah. So made this Vienna Amber Lager that I had made on my one barrel pilot system at home. And I liked it. My neighbors liked it. And so I brewed this beer with Terry and uh, just we, no real plans for it. So we were just selling it in growlers and sixth barrel kegs for people who had home draft systems. And uh, so a bunch of guys walked through the door one day and said, hey, we're going to start this organization. And it was called Green Options Buffalo at that time. And it was about getting outdoors and pocket parks and riding bicycles and and Mm -hmm. pedestrian access and all that sort of stuff. And it's become an organization known as Go Bike Buffalo. So... Uh, I had that beer and I had some British bitter, which I called British Amber, uh, available. They said they had the name Rusty Chain. We have this beer in mind. We want to call it Rusty Chain. What do you think? Would you brew some? Would you give us a couple, five bucks a keg? We weren't bottling at the time. And I said, well, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see. So let's try these beers. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And to a man, all six of them said, that's the beer we want. That's great. I could drink that beer until I fall over. Okay, great. Vienna Amber Lager, Rusty Chain. There we go. 
So while we were brewing the first batch, putting it in the tank, and it's, it's a lager beer, it takes a little longer. So while they were doing that, they would go to bar A and go, hey, George, you know, do you have Rusty Chain from Flying Bison? And no, I don't know what you're talking about. All six of them would turn around and walk out the door. They'd go to bar B. Hey, Frank, do you have Rusty Chain from Bison? They did that for six weeks. And by then, the distributor, the, these bars are calling the distributor going, what is this beer and why aren't you bringing it to me? Because everybody seems to want it. And the distributor came over and knocked on the door and said, why are you scamming us? Why aren't you doing this? I said, this is a little fundraiser for these guys. They go, oh, no, we've never had so many phone calls from bar owners about any beer ever. You're going to make this beer. It's going to be a regular beer, and you're going to ship it to us. Okay. Wow. There's where Rusty Chain started from. It's our number one selling beer still. Was that like the first beer that was regularly available in bars for you guys? Or no, no. no. Okay. Uh, Aviator Red. And, and gotcha. So we'd been open six years before this happened. Sure. How did... I'm very curious to see how uh, the back end of this works. Because you said when you first got into the business in general, mm -hmm. you mentioned that you wanted to distribute. Mm -hmm. So how did that work? Were there any changes that had to be made from the initial couple of years? Or is it just you file it? You, you do the necessary paperwork, and then you're able to do it from there on out. No, or did you have to make changes based off of demand? No, you, you've got to get a distributor to want to carry you, and then you have to sign a contract with them, and then they basically own you. Because then you gotta, you got to keep up with their demand, correct? Well, <laughs> your supply's got to be there. you you got to hope that there's demand. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's, and, and again, things have changed drastically over 22 years where we went from, I delivered every single keg. I made every single sales call. It was one guy shop when, when the doors first opened. So that part of it was just sweat equity. Sure. And then when the distributor says, hey, so I saw him at a charity golf tournament where I was pouring beer and two brothers whose family owns a distributorship came up and said, we should probably sit down and talk. And at the time, they had Guinness and Guinness comes with the special taps and the nitro mix gas and the strainers and the, you know, all that sort of in a different coupler and a different tap handle. And it's a, it's wonderful beer, but it's a big pain in the ass. Yeah, it's a thing. It's Right. It's one of the only beers that's available in this country mm -hmm. that has all that. <clears throat> so I had, and I had some friends who were helping me uh, with, with the brewery and, and part-time. They had other day jobs, and they'd come in and help where they could just try and make this go because mm -hmm. one person can't do it. But they tried to help. Um, so we had gotten to the point of, we had 75 accounts, and it was probably f five years, six years. It was just before Rusty Chain, so five years, let's say. Uh, we'd gone from seven accounts on day one to 75 accounts five years later. And it sounds like a lot, but that's not enough. We still had to do more. So when we sat down and talked, they said, you have the same number of accounts as Guinness does. You don't require all this other hardware, and they have an international marketing organization behind them. Mm -hmm. We think you have a future. Hmm. We'd like to be your distributor. Okay. <laughs> so 
Years later, they're still our distributor. But the distribution thing has changed quite a bit. Now they have everybody. Uh, when we started, there were five distributors in the city of Buffalo. There's now one. Really? Right. So they have everybody that's available in Buffalo. Um, then Wright Distributing from Rochester comes in. And then that turned into a, a, an agreement where they distribute us in Rochester. And that's as far as we're available, Buffalo and Rochester. Oh, no kidding. Wow. That was my next question. How, like, where are you? Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So when did you start canning then? Because you didn't always can, but now you do. We started canning just about three years ago. That recent? Yes. What about bottling? So we were, Bottling's been around. Yeah, while, bottling right? since 06. Okay. So we were, that was part of the agreement with the distributor gotcha. was, okay, we'd like to distribute you, but we really need you to bottle because we need it to be in stores. That's where the wars are for sure. the distributor. The bar thing is high maintenance for them. Mm -hmm. The stores, you know, Tops, Wegmans, the consumers, is one call mm -hmm. to one buyer for one company. So in those three companies, you can sell more beer than you can to all the bars and restaurants sure. in Buffalo. We were upside down, which was something that was very different and unusual for them to deal with, where we had 54% of our business was bars and restaurants and about 10% at the bar out the door here at the mm -hmm. brewery and the rest was stores. Wow. Where say Anheuser-Busch is 95% stores and 5% draft. Why do you think that was? Because we started that way. Okay. We started as a, a, a draft only brewery Delivering into the basement of every mm -hmm. bar in Buffalo. I kind of love that, though. I mean, that's like old school. It's like delivering milk. Yeah. <laughs> you know who else loves it? The orthopedic surgeon who keeps me moving. <laughs> he loves it. He drives such a nice car. <laughs> so you said that you have a thing at home that's a one-barrel system. You have your experimental. No, well, not anymore. That's here. Okay. And then you have your experimental so when, that's a two, right? Well, it's it's a one-barrel brew house so the, the vessels where you cook the beer is okay. one barrel so you make one barrel then you turn around and immediately make another barrel and fill gotcha. that two barrel fermenter so what is your normal system how many barrels 20 barrel brew house and it's the same system we started with so that system is 23 years old you guys took that big of a leap to start with a 20 barrel system yeah good for you that's that insane stressful go bigger stay home <laughs> <laughs> how did you pitch that to the wife just um, like that? Darling, I'm going to take this one-barrel <laughs> system out of the house. Of course! <laughs> no, I had a lot of friends who threw in their poker money. Threw in, I mean, we sold shares for $1,000, $2,000 each. Uh, and you look at the budget that even small taproom breweries are opening with. The day flying by is an open, we had less than $500 in our checking account. And these other guys who have opened since 2014 have millions of dollars mm -hmm. at their disposal. They're backed by... Bigger corporations, uh, you know, real estate developers and uh, bankers, whatever, whoever it is that's backing them, they, they have huge budgets to start with. We didn't have that. Mm -hmm. So we have to sell a pint of beer to make a dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the if you come out with a new one, like the one that I drank, clearly I hated it. Um, the yeah, summer, wow. yeah, the <laughs> summer tart faster than me. That, that, <laughs> something wrong with that. <laughs> the summer tart, the summer tart sour yeah. ale. Did yeah. that start on the two barrel, or do you just go hard in with the twenty and say this this will sell? Um, 
we did a, we'll call it sour base on the two barrel to try and get the acidity right okay. before we did any sour beer. And this was the second sour beer and we did it for an event here in Buffalo. And they, as of this year, went with another brewery because that brewery is closer to their event than we were. Sure. So we made this beer for them. And it, uh, so in just in discussions amongst the, the beer geeks here, uh, we got to the lemon sour thing that the, the or lemon strawberry thing where the, the lemon provides some tartness to go with sour and the strawberry gives a soft fruitiness that gives some complexity to the flavor. So even though it's a very light beer, very drinkable beer, um, it has those. It's pouring right now. Yeah, I know. It's. I think, oh, dude! I honest to God I thought think driving that, rain. Is the, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a fan <laughs> yeah. inside of a cooler or something. No, it's just pouring outside. The rain. No, the the machinery is well insulated from us. You wouldn't hear anything even if we were brewing right yeah. now. That is unbelievable. Huh? Okay, continue. That's how hard it's raining. Yeah, yeah. that's that's insane. Yeah, we, we are ground zero for lake effect. Oh yeah, I'm so sure. So when when we had that uh, November storm. Four years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how, did, how would that go? So here? Yeah. Nothing. Psst, nothing. Four blocks away where the Buffalo Maltings building is, and you can see it from here, and you know it well, mm-hmm. um, we couldn't see that building for four days, and it's four blocks wow. from here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the guys that worked here at the time, he's, he's since retired from here, um, he lives three miles down Seneca Street and off to the mm-hmm. right. He couldn't get here for four days. Wow. For those that don't know, the, that storm was ridiculous to the point where it was snow plus wind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of homes in Buffalo are single-story ranches. Yeah. And my dad lives in one of them. I was on his roof, shoveling off his roof and throwing snow level with his gutters. Right. So I, I was just getting the weight off of the roof, <laughs> and the snowdrift went up to his gutter. Right. You couldn't even open the door. I live 12 miles from here. Yeah. 12 miles east of here. Not even enough to cover my grass. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. Yeah. We could stand here and look in the windows of the LCO building and see sunshine and blue sky and look straight out the window, and it was like a black curtain was drawn across. Insane. Yeah, but that's lake effect. So what you were hearing is lake effect rain. Yeah. It's a band, and and you can watch it. You'll see a black stripe form in the sky, and then you'll hear that noise. Right. It's wild. Yeah. I love it. So back in 2014, the legislation passes, and craft breweries start popping up everywhere. Are you, like, considered like a godfather in the craft breweries, as weird as that sounds, but you were around since 2000, and now these new breweries are coming in. Do they consult you, or are you part of a board or anything that advises them? I hope that if you have a brewery, (laughs) it is a boy brewery. (laughs) Um, (laughs) People will throw that term in my face once in a while, you know, godfather, whatever. Whatever. We're just, I... I You were born first. I'm older than everybody else. Okay, <laughs> that's it. Let's get over that. Uh, I have grandchildren. Okay, um, I, I love that concept. That you know, I know a lot of the other brewers. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. There's there's people, and no kidding, they're younger than my kids yeah. that are opening breweries. So my oldest son is the brewer here. He's the head brewer here. My younger son uh, works in the construction industry. And 
it, it's flattering to me to have friends in the brewing industry because we can all just sit down and, but this is something that, and talk to any of the other brewers, talk to, you name any local brewery, mm -hmm. and any time that I get together with one of them or they with me, we will always, somebody will say, you know, we really suck at this. At just meeting up and having a beer. Mm -hmm. We're terrible at it because we're all so busy doing what we do. Sure. That's not the first time we've heard that. Yeah. There's been multiple brewers that have said that <laughs> where it's just like, man, like the, uh, the Brewers Guild yeah. made that comment where they're like, we wish we could do this more. It's just everybody's so busy. But the benefit is that locally, because that's pretty much the only thing we can speak on, is everyone's like, the thing that does bring us together, though, is collabs. Like the brewery is doing, like they brew a beer together. That's one reason. It's it's almost like an excuse to but, get together. Okay, yeah. But it doesn't happen enough. But beyond but, that, the fact that I could walk into any brewery and they'll pour me a beer. Mm -hmm. And any brewer can walk into this brewery. I'll be glad to see them. I'll be glad to pour them a beer. Mm -hmm. If I get two minutes to sit down and have a beer with them, I will gladly do it. Yeah. They're really good people. You want them living next door to you, despite the fact that they bring home cases of free beer for mm -hmm. you. you. You know, you like these people. Yeah. They're they're good people. They're interested in the community. They want to th see things grow. They want to see their business grow. They want to see your business grow. They want to see other businesses grow. So that's the part that I just love about being in, in this business is that I think more than any other industry, the brewing industry gets it, that we're mm -hmm. all in this together and sink or swim. We're all in this together. Yeah, this doesn't seem like an industry, just from what we've been experiencing, where it's like a cutthroat, where all breweries are against each other. It seems more yeah. like, come on over, let's brew one together, instead yeah. of, yeah. I don't want your beer here. Yeah. Anybody who calls me and says, let's let's do something together, eh, sit down, we talk about it. Yeah. We've, we've done collabs as, as close as blocks away and as far away as Ireland. So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah well, so our Fenian Ale that's coming out in a week or two, uh, we did with Sullivan's Brewery in Ireland. How did that connection happen? Was it through? Was that through like WGR? Because they have ads all of a sudden all over local radio. No, they hired John Murphy as their local spokesman. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. So they're they're a small local brewery. They started out as Smittick. So two of the three owners, their last name is Smittick. So their uncle lost slash sold the brewery in in Ireland in Kilkenny, Ireland, um, and. Our distributor is their distributor. Hmm. And I got invited to their rollout here in Buffalo. And one of the, there's a guy in Buffalo who's kind of a money guy and he's a partner, financial partner, an investor, what do you want to call him, in, in the Sullivan's Brewery in Kilkenny. And he, he has a cottage there. Um, <laughs> Must be nice. I have a shed in my backyard. He has a <laughs> yes. cottage in Kilkenny. <laughs> it's fine. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he's a tremendous guy. Sure. You'd love to sit down and have a beer with him, and you would never imagine that he's that guy. So when they rolled out here, he has a, 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 a big house, and they had a, a party and invited a lot of restaurant guys. So our distributor invited us because their first beer was a red beer. And they thought, well, you know, let's, let's be a little delicate about mm -hmm. this let's invite tim to this so i get over there and the beer's not pouring well they've got the wrong coupler on the line i'll be right back came over to the brewery got the toolkit ran over changed the coupler adjusted the pressure get the beer pouring and the brewer comes over and he goes 
who are you? <laughs> uh, I'm your new friend. Yeah, I'm Tim. Yeah, that's it. That's, I'm the Godfather. And, and my official title is Tim. Tim. Yeah. So you can see it in the Monty Python movie. Um, so we, right there, we, their brewer, two of their owners, their local guy, we all became friends like that. Why? Because I didn't spit on them. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So that was great. And then Butch and I got to go to Ireland and we went to Kilkenny and we went there and had a fun time at their, um, at their tap room. And we walk into the tap room and, um, the beer was flowing. The, the beer was flowing and they were talking to some folks in the corner. And so we went up to the bar, we'll, we'll have a beer and they go, you're the, you're the folks from Buffalo. And well, how did you know? Just, well, they said you'd have a mustache. I seem to be known for that. So, sure. I why. They told us, <clears throat> you can't pay for beer. I said, tell them they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, they told me you'd say that too, so you still can't pay for a beer. <clears throat> so they get all done, and they come walking over, and as they turn around, the folks that they're talking to are from Buffalo. And one of them was a, is a police officer, and he comes over and he says, Tim, what are you doing here? And you could hear my wife roll her eyes. It was like wood on wood. <laughs> just, I can't take you anywhere. Um, but we had a great time, and they're just super nice guys, and I like their beer. Uh, they make the second best Irish red ale in Buffalo. So Second best. That's <laughs> not talking about. And they say that I make the second best Irish red ale in Buffalo. So Love it. It's good fun. Yeah. So what's next? Is there anything next for Flying Bison or still just coasting on everything that's going no, on? No, no. There's no coasting. Yeah. There's no coasting in craft answer. brewing. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, no, there's always something new. Uh, we have a porter coming out in a week or so. Fenians will be out. Uh, what else? Uh, right after that, the, the Christmas beers will go in. Scotch Ale, Sleigh Rider, uh, Blizzard Bock. Uh, has to go in. Uh, we're hoping to get Blizzard Bach in the cans this year. I just think that mm. would be a very impactful package. For sure. And the artwork is just some of my favorite. So Aviator Red and the Blizzard Bach and the Blackbird Stout, those are my three favorite labels that we've ever done. And we've done a lot of good stuff, and we've done dozens and dozens and dozens of brands over time. Uh, but those are ones that just, with me, they resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all that really matters. It's Absolutely. all about me. For sure. When is the taproom open? Uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays from four to eight, and Fridays and Saturdays from noon to eight. Cool. So we're we're not a we're we're not a traditional bar, and we don't wish to be that. But we do some really cool, fun events here, and we want people to come down to the tap room, experience the events, try the beer. Uh, we have Eric Jones, who's a local guy that's been on the Food Network carving pumpkins, and he's doing a pumpkin carving sculpture contest. Well, not contest class. Here in the tent, uh, we have a big giant tent outside the side door. So they're going to do pumpkin carving, and we're going to do two classes, one at the end of the month, one in the middle of next month. So you'll have them ready for your porch for Halloween. Uh, we'll also have some Saranac Pumpkin Ale as a guest tap. Uh, they're friends of ours as well, hmm. partners with us, and uh, they're great. So we'll have lots of fall beers. We'll have some really cool, fun stuff to do. But we want you to, you know, get the beer, take it home, have it at your house, serve it to your friends, uh, go to your local bars and try it and enjoy it. And so it's it's about enjoying the experience. And whether you do it here at the tap room or whether you do it at your house, whether you do it at your local, that's that's all fine with me. Sure. I love it. What about social media? Are you guys on social media? Oh yeah, we do Facebook. Uh, Vinny and Sarah do. So if you're, if you're talking to me on Facebook, 
it's actually Vinny. So just go, <laughs> hi, Tim. Hi, Vinny. And then go from there. So uh, Vinny leans more towards Facebook. Sarah does more towards the reels and the stories and stuff sure. that are on Instagram. We do lots of ridiculous stuff. So when she says, well, let's shoot something, and I give her an idea, if it makes her laugh, it's the right thing to do. And we it shows in the numbers. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't laugh, then, well, we have to do something else. <laughs> so we do all that. We uh, Twitter, we do minimally. Uh, we, we have a website. There's information on there. We try and keep the events up on there and what what beers we have in kegs for purchase to take home, stuff like that. So you can purchase kegs here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we were early in on that because that was, that was our income. There was mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. so many bars that were going to take us to get started. So the... I started in six barrels because that's what homebrewers use, that, those old Pepsi canister mm-hmm. kegs. And then as soon as they were available, I started buying sixth barrel Sankey kegs, like professional coupler. But people started putting in home draft systems and bars in their basements and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and bars at their cottages and kegs at their cottages. And that's been a, a really fun thing to do because they're going to take it home and they're going to tell their friends, hey, I got this at Flying Bison and here, try this sure. and here, try that. So, you know, you've got an unpaid salesperson out there. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. But the fact that they enjoy the beer, that's, that's, it's still 22 years later. It's a thrill ride for me to see somebody come in, I pour them a beer and it makes them smile. Mm-hmm. That's the best paycheck ever. Absolute best paycheck ever. I love it. Well, Tim, thank you so much for sitting down with us. This has been oh, awesome. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Everybody, find them on social media. Go to their website to find out where all their events are. Uh, if you're talking to Tim, it's not Tim, it's Vinny, so just remember that. <laughs> um, and come down and enjoy a beer. I mean, their their tap list is extensive. They do stuff, new stuff all the time. you got to try the Aviator Red if you're here, the Kolsch, the Rusty Chain, but grab something different. Like this yeah. summer tart is amazing. You had a Paul – what, did you have a Paula's Donut something? Paula's Peanut Stick Porter. Yeah, I asked for a uh, – I asked for the darkest beer possible, and this is what <laughs> was provided, and uh, it I was did, it was good. I didn't lie to you. No, it was, it was the darkest beer available. What's your really go-to? Good. And Paula's Donuts is right down the street. Yes, That's they dangerous, are. right? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> what is your go-to beer? Uh, yes, the whole board. <laughs> yes, I can have whatever I want. I, love it. I work at Beer Nirvana. Yep. No, seriously, you can't. Today it's Oktoberfest. Prost. Love it. There you go. Thanks, Tim. We'll see you later. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.